And um, I just wanted to kind of say as we start out our first time, I know that we were sort of, some of us were back here last week, but um, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I said this last week, I'm genuinely excited about what I see God building in this congregation. Um, we, we, there's been a, a se- you know, churches have seasons and congregations have seasons and uh, um, a couple of years ago um, there was a really incredible thing happening here in the night service and, um, and we've probably seen a, a change of, of the guard and, and a different season and to some extent a, a pruning or whatever um, but and the last 12 months has been really bizarre like for for most, this time last year we didn't have a pastor and then uh, we went through probably six, seven, eight months without a pastor and trying to hold the fort in that, which is, which is okay and it's not all about a pastor or Nick. Um, yeah, okay, it is all about Nick. No, it's not really. Um, but it, you see in Nick's leadership the difference that a leader makes sowing into a, a group of people. And I think Nick is a great blessing to you guys and a great leader and a great um, pastor and man of faith. And... Um, so we didn't have a pastor, and then we did, but then we didn't have a congregation so <laughs> for like four and a half months. So it's, it's, a weird, it's been a weird season, uh, you know, for Nick starting out in what, November, I think it was. Um, but I feel like tonight is the start of something new, and I believe God's going to build something. And just as when I went back eight and a half years and looked around at a, at a night congregation, uh, that was small but had something in it. I believe God, there's something in this group of people that God's placed here in terms of gifts and passion and, um, and just a heart for him and for, for mission that I think God will really use in a powerful way. So that's good. Um, I should also say that um, uh, coming back tonight and saying, like so many people I haven't seen, and then people say, oh, well, I've seen you, you know, because they've seen me on the, on the screen, on the telly. And... Um, but uh, one of the things is after the service this morning, someone said to me, they said, you know, um, it was really great being back and, and hearing you preach in person. But they were like, actually, I kind of like just seeing you because you were looking at the camera. You were looking at me the whole time. So it was actually easier to concentrate. So basically, I'm just going to say that if, if at some point tonight you feel like you're losing concentration and, and you need me to just really eyeball you <laughs> like it's online TV, Charlie, you're good at that, then just... just <laughs> Just put your hand up and I'll come over and I'll just preach to you one-on-one for a little while. We can do the online church way. All right, let's get into this. Um, Nick and I are thinking about a new series and wrestling with a couple of options. Um, but to, together we, we uh, uh, determined that we wanted to come out of this season of COVID and isolation by coming right back to Jesus. Uh, it's all about Jesus. We want to make it about Jesus. We want to study Jesus, come back to Jesus, and read uh, uh, the Gospels. And, and we're, so we're going to do a series, uh, as Nick said, on Mark's Gospel, not just because it's Mark's Gospel and my name's Mark and it's Mark's Gospel and that's a good thing, but just because um, uh, there's something in here as I studied it that I felt would be really good to, to bring to the congregation. Um, so we're going to get into the passage, then I'll talk a bit about Mark's gospel and who Mark was, and then we'll actually um, study the passage literally verse by verse, and then I'm going to bring some meaning out of it. All right, that's the, that's the pattern. So we're going to start with Mark chapter 1, um, verse 21 to 28, and hey, I should say the, the series is called Kingdom Questions. And as I studied Mark, I began to see these questions, and I, I, I kind of took note of these, and I began highlighting these questions. 
And that right through the gospel, there'd be questions that Jesus was asking someone or that someone was asking Jesus. And I realize there's a real power in a, in a well-asked question. A question can bring out truth, right? Um, I think someone told me this morning a great quote by a guy called Voltaire, whoever he was. He said, don't, don't judge me by my answers, judge me by my questions. And uh, if you want to dig deep into understanding someone, a, a powerful question can pierce to the heart of something and really uncover truth. So with that in mind, let's read Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 21 to 28. Three questions in this passage. Um, it goes a little something like this. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently. And came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? And with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of the Galilee. Um, let me, let me, I'm going to do a bit different than this morning. I'm going to tell you a bit about Mark's gospel and then I'll start a story around lead us into this passage. So Mark's gospel uh, is written, uh, surprisingly, by a guy called? Yeah, although he was actually commonly known as John, a bit like Simon Peter, so it was kind of a trick question. Um, but he was a guy called Mark and he was not one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Um, so he wasn't one of the 12, but he was a, an early Christian believer uh, who did ministry very closely with Peter and then later with Paul. And he would have heard Peter's teaching and all of that and his sermons, uh, teaching about the, the teachings of Jesus and what Jesus uh, said and did. And then he then put that together. But uh, Mark is a guy referenced in the book of Acts that is believed. In Acts chapter 12, it says, When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem taking with them John, also called Mark. And then in Acts chapter 15, there's actually a dispute between Paul and Barnabas, who are two, two guys doing missionary adventures, uh, missionary journeys. And there was a time when uh, Mark had gone back to Jerusalem and sort of deserted them. And then he'd returned and wanted to rejoin them. And so Barnabas said, like, let's give this guy a second chance. And Paul was like, uh, no, you know the gospel, this mission is too important to have a guy who deserted us. I'm not accepting him to come with us. And they had this really sharp dispute and it led to them going their own separate ways. And Barnabas went off with John Mark to one place and uh, uh, Paul took a guy called Silas and they went in a different direction. And it took years and years before they were reconciled. And just goes to show something about the challenge of doing ministry sometimes we can be so passionate about something and have our reasons um, both of them you can see justification for that but that was actually over um, this guy Mark who ended up writing one of the gospels and Mark's gospel is uh, the, the distinctive features of it is firstly that it's the shortest gospel by a long way um, so if you like things that are short and sharp and shiny Mark is your man 
his gospel is 16 chapters. Matthew, by comparison, is 28 chapters. John is 21, Luke 24, and generally much longer chapters. Mark has these 16 brief chapters. Like in, in the first 20 verses of Mark's gospel, we have the ministry of John the Baptist, we have the baptism of Jesus, we have Jesus going into the wilderness for 40 days where he's tempted, we have Jesus beginning his ministry and calling people to repentance, and then we have Jesus calling his first disciples, and that happens in 20 verses in chapter 1, right? So it's like full on. He's just going boom, 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 boom. Mark's purpose is essentially to show us who Jesus is. It is to reveal to us that Jesus is the Messiah, uh, that is God's chosen king. He's the son of God. Uh, verse 1 says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. So that's what Mark's gospel is about. Let's look into this passage. Let me start with a bit of a, a story to frame it for you. Um, I'm just going to have to get my water. So before I was a pastor, I, I um, did a business degree in property and I was, uh, got a job as a property valuer. And my job was to travel around. The first couple of years I did that, I did residential kind of valuations mostly. And I would travel around and I would go into people's houses and I would look through them and I would record all the different things about the house and make all these different notes. And then I would compare it to other houses that had sold that were similar and work out the, the value of that house. Okay. But I had this one particular memorable uh, visit to a house that was um, a little unusual. So I went into this guy's house and I, I, knocked on the door, I, didn't, I knocked on the door first before going in. And he answered and I said, you know, hi, I'm here for the appointment. And he's like, okay, yep, come in. And I started just asking him questions about his house. Um, you know, what's the house, what's the roofing material and is it double brick or single brick and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, how many bedrooms and looking around. And he kept asking me these strange questions like, oh, like I'd say, what's the roofing material? He'd say, oh, do you, do you need to know that? Well, like, yeah, yeah, I need to know that. And I'd be like, oh, does it have a carport or a garage, single, double? And be like, is that relevant? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. And anyway, then he started asking me questions, which I found a bit odd because he's like, so I'm thinking of putting an air conditioner up here on the wall. Um, do you reckon that's a good spot for it? I'm like doing my thing. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, that looks all right. He goes, but, but I was also thinking of putting my air conditioner over here. Is that a good spot for it? And I'm like, I'm just trying to get on with my job. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. And so anyway, and then I've, I'm just going to go outside and measure up the house. He's like, do you really need to measure up the whole house? Yeah, I do. So then he comes outside and he's like, so I've heard that five horsepower uh, air conditioners should be sufficient. Do you think that's the case? I'm like, mate, you know, I'm sorry, I don't really have any idea, to be honest with you. <laughs> he goes, what? Aren't you the air conditioning salesman? <laughs> I'm like, No. I'm a property valuer. He's like, oh, forgot. I had two appointments today and forgot about yours. <laughs> so anyway, there you go. When I told that story to property valuers, they were like on the floor. That was like really funny. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, would, would it be great? Anyway, point of the story. If you want to understand who someone is, you need to understand, or if you want to kind of make sense of, of, of a situation, you need to understand who someone is, you need to understand why they've come and you need to understand what they're intending to do, what their, what their means of, of achieving their purpose is. 
And it strikes me when we come to this passage that what Mark is doing is beginning to reveal to us the answers to these questions. Who Jesus is, what he has come to do, his purpose, and how he is going to achieve that. We ju- and it's just chapter one, so we're just getting this first look at it. But the, the, the first chapter is kind of important. It sets the scene. It, it makes a statement. And it strikes me that when we, we think about the place of Jesus in our society today, in the world that we're living in, that you're living in, and, and, and studying in, and working in, and, and doing all the stuff that, that's part of your life, is that we have this world where people really don't know who Jesus is, really don't know his purpose, and really don't know how he came to fulfill that purpose. And, and it's not that they're um, uh, sort of kind of deliberately ignoring this. It's just that in their lives, they kind of have no frame of res- reference for this. Like, uh, I remember hearing a story from uh, a guy who's uh, a pastor and he came to a conference and he was sharing about evangelism and, and sharing faith in today's world. And he said, like, when I grew up, he said, I, I never went to church ever. He said, the kids I played with, in the street on the weekend and on a Sunday morning. They never went to church ever. He said, my neighbours, my relatives. Uh, he said, I, I didn't know anyone who went to church. And he said, the, the problem for me was not that I didn't know Jesus. The thing was, I didn't know that I didn't know Jesus. I didn't even know that I didn't know Jesus. It wasn't that I was rejecting the gospel. It was that I had no frame of reference for the gospel at all. It wasn't on my radar. And so when we think about what Mark's revealing, is this is really important because it's important for us for, for a couple of reasons. One is around understanding our mission and what our role is as a church and, and where that fits. But it's also kind of important for us in understanding about what we do. Because like, um, like I did, to, yesterday I went to... Um, to the football, my son's football, where I was the runner wearing fluoro green. I don't know why I share that. Um, <laughs> and if I tell someone, well, you know, like if I was in a normal workplace, obviously I'm at the church, but if I said to someone, yeah, I um, went to my son's footy and I was the runner, people go, yeah, yeah, like I have a frame of reference for that. That's a, that's a normal thing to do on a Sunday. If you say to your friends, co-workers, etc., I went to church on Sunday, most of them are going to be going, huh. Like, because when I talk to people, they think young people don't go to church. And when, I, when they ask about my church, and they say, what's your church like? Is it mainly elderly people? I say, well, between um, our congregations, we have around 200 children and we have around 50 youth and we've got like around 100, 150 young. They're like, whoa, that's not what I thought. So um, it helps us understand our mission. It also helps us understand about what we're doing. If we, if we are doing this coming to church and singing, if we're singing all hail King Jesus and he's not King Jesus, if if we've got his identity wrong, then it's really strange what we're doing. We're probably wasting our time. We're just doing a religious thing. So it's great for us, even if we know this, to come back and look at exactly who Jesus is. Because otherwise it's like, well, do I really need to do this? Is this really valuable? Okay. So let me, uh, I've gone through Mark's gospel, let's get into this passage. Um, So verse 21, if you've got your Bible, or if we can put it up, verse 21. They they went to Capernaum, when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue 
and began to teach. Now, Capernaum is about 50 kilometers north east of uh, Nazareth. Jesus was born and raised in Nazareth, probably worked there. But when um, he, uh, but he also travelled around a lot. In fact, he ended up living in Capernaum and probably made that his base during his ministry. Capernaum set on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, and uh, yeah, it's a nice place. I've been there myself. Cool place. Um, what's left of it? It's mainly ruins now, of course. Um, but Jesus. Um, uh, went there and began to teach in the synagogue. So synagogue was kind of like church, really. It was a little bit like the town hall, but also the place where people would go to hear um, the teaching of, uh, of the Old Testament. And the, the synagogue would have a synagogue leader, but people who were recognised and respected in the community or were kind of... Um, became recognised in the wider community, when we were travelling, people would be invited to come and to teach the scriptures. They would actually uh, sit down and they would sit down and teach and they would pull out a scroll and they would teach in that way. And so Jesus uh, has been recognised to the point, this is right at the start of his ministry, where he's invited to come and teach. And so he starts teaching and it says that the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Now at the time the teachers of the law spent a lot of time arguing, it's understood about trivialities of the law and about ritual, ritualistic practices and the law and all the detail and they'd wrestle with stuff and, and, and they would also spend a lot of time quoting other rabbis and scholars. They'd say, this, this person says this, you know, according to this, this person says this. But then Jesus comes along and he teaches differently. If you read the Gospels, he'll often say something like, you've heard it said this, but I say. So he would claim his own authority to teach. And when he started teaching them, it says they were amazed, which doesn't sound that an amazing a word, but it actually means they were astounded and overwhelmed. Right? As I said this morning, you know when you're preaching well, when people are astounded and overwhelmed. And just looking at you guys tonight, I can tell... Some of you are just in that place right now, so you can just remain calm and focused, but probably not. Um, but they're just like going, this is incredible. And Jesus' teaching is incredible. Um, I think we need to come back to Jesus' teaching on a regular basis. I think you need to read or listen to the Gospels on a regular basis. I know people listen to podcasts a lot, and that's great, but there's something about the power of the Word of God. All of God's all of scripture is useful for teaching and equipping and training uh, in righteousness. But I, I think coming back to Jesus and the, in the Gospels is so important on a regular basis. In fact, I actually think we get away from who Jesus is. When I come back and read the Gospels after I haven't read them for a while, even, even I, even I, that sounds really wrong. <laughs> but I'm reading the Bible a fair bit, I should be, and I am. But I come back to the Gospels and I'm like, wow, this is like so fresh like Jesus when Jesus teaches it, it elicits a, a significant response in people people are moved and they're changed and they're challenged and sometimes it causes them to be really angry and to reject him but there's very very rarely is there just a neutral response and Jesus is really confronting right we've got this idea of Jesus is this kind of gentle Jesus meek and mild and when I watch the movies about Jesus I really can't stand them because he just like walks around like this kind of um, very um, oh, I don't know very kind of like uh, he's just got this like funny smile on his face and he just kind of wants to hug people all the time but Jesus actually confronts people a lot 
and he elicits responses in people where he actually causes people to be like fired up and uh, people often want to kill Jesus after they hear his teaching. That happens a lot in, in the gospel. People hear his teaching, they're like, wow, we've got to kill this guy. <laughs> That's confronting. How long would Jesus last as a pastor in a church? Have you ever thought about that? What would happen? i tell you what, this is what I think would happen if Jesus was a pastor. He would be incredibly compassionate on broken and hurting people. He would be incredibly loving and reaching out to lost people. But to people who are living out their faith, he would challenge you so directly about half-heartedness and apathy and hypocrisy and anything about that he saw in it. He would challenge us directly. It would be like that online church face-to-face, you know. <laughs> and I think a lot of churches wouldn't, would be like, you know, let's get rid of this guy pretty quickly. Anyway, moving on. Verse 23, in the midst of his teaching... The people are pretty amazed at his teaching, but in the midst of it, the, uh, the, the, the meeting in the synagogue gets even more exciting because this guy who has an impure spirit within him, uh, possessed by an impure spirit, I guess a d- demon we would say, he cries out saying, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? That's the first question. Have you come to destroy us? And then he says this, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. First thing I want to say about this, and this passage is really important to note, is that in our Western world, I feel that we have tried to rationalise anything that's kind of supernatural, whether from God or from, from the evil one, and the whole idea of evil or devil or Satan or any of this, we've kind of like removed and we say, well, that's just old-fashioned or it's a superstition, and we've tried to rationalise everything down and remove it from our understanding of the world. But let me tell you, Uh, Just as there is God and his power at work in the world, there is a power of evil as well. There's so much in this world that when you look at it, it's, it's unspeakable and it's unfathomable how such things can exist in the world. And to me, it is a reflection that Satan has a hold and an influence and a power in this world at this time. And that, that is uh, present in so many different ways. You don't have to look too far. You can read the newspaper you can see this. You can you can uh, read about stuff that's in the on the internet and the dark net and all this kind of crazy stuff that is just horrific, and even some of the stuff that just your average person, your average young person, and some of you guys have just come through teenage years and you're coming out the other side. But some of the stuff that I see young people going through today, to me, is just an ex- expression of the presence of evil in our world. Of course, we can look at stuff out there. There's also the, the challenge within our own heart, the wrestle with temptation and struggle, like Paul's in, in the gospel and Romans, Paul, not in the gospel, in Romans, Paul's like, the, the very thing that I don't want to do, I keep doing, and the thing that I do not want to do, I do. He's got this wrestle within him, temptation. And, and to me, this is all uh, an expression of the influence and the power of the evil one in this world. And here we see that there's a man who is actually. Uh, possessed by an impure spirit and so he cries out with these questions what do you want with us Jesus of Nazareth have you come to destroy us and I know who you are the holy one of God let me start with the, the statement I know who you are when in the gospel we see people referring to Jesus as master or teacher etc but actually it's the demons who know straight away who Jesus is they know who he is they pick it this guy is not some 
ordinary teacher. He's not even an extraordinary teacher. He is this chosen Messiah, God's chosen king who is coming into the world and the demons pick it straight away and tremble. And when he takes authority over them, he steps in and he's like, be quiet, and they are silent. And when he says, get out, they're out, because he takes his authority and takes them on and just does what he's going to do. The demon cries out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? One of the ways of understanding this statement, what do you want with us, is why are you meddling with us? You know, why are you getting involved? I feel like with the gospel and, and our society today, like if we seek to like communicate the gospel in a lot of spaces today, like if you were to take the gospel into a university campus or into a, into a school or into a workplace, it's kind of like, why are you getting involved? Why are you bringing Jesus into this? And there's kind of this suspicion, like, you know, have you come to destroy us? I think if people understand anything about Christianity or, or, or they have, probably one of their understandings is that maybe what it's about is destroying or removing freedom or, or you know, fun or kind of like, you know, it's, it's about constraining or constricting or removing. It's actually the very opposite of what Jesus has come to do. Have you come to destroy us? Well, we talk about who Jesus is. Um, he is the Holy One of God. And that's, a, that's actually from Isaiah. It's, a, it's, a, it's right through Isaiah. God is referred to as the Holy One. And uh, this is a reference, therefore, to who Jesus is. And so Jesus, in verse 25, demonstrates his authority. He shows who he is. Um, he is displaying what we see here in his authority over the demon is he's revealing that he is the Messiah, that he is King Jesus. And that brings us to this song that we just sung, All Hail King Jesus, and why we are here tonight. As I said before, if he is not this person, we should probably go home. No, we shouldn't probably, we should go home. And we should forget this. But if he is King Jesus, who is coming into this world as God's Son, as, as God in human flesh entering the world, then he is worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship, worthy of our time, worthy of our Sunday nights, and then our Monday and our Tuesday and all through the week. Worthy of our gifts, our talents, our time and our service. And Mark is revealing to us that this is who he is. And why has Jesus come? The demon says, have you come to destroy us? And the answer to the question is, absolutely. Jesus is coming to push back against evil. And if you want to understand like Jesus is not the gentle, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, Jesus is like a king, an ancient king who would lead his army into battle. And, and, and if you imagine like the, the earth has become a land that belongs to God, but Satan has come in and has actually taken sort of some authority over it and has got some control and influence over it. And now Jesus is coming in to claim back that which is his. And he's marching onto a battlefield and he's coming to say, I'm coming to reclaim my authority. And in terms of uh, evil, he's coming to destroy uh, evil and push back against it. And in terms of people, he's coming to set people free. He's coming to set people free. And by the grace of God, one of the great joys of ministry is not just kind of, um, you know, teaching is a great joy and praying with people and, and all this, but, but actually at the deepest level, what, I'm, what I get to see in ministry is God setting people free. I've seen God set people free from oppressions, I've seen God set people free from, from unforgiveness. I've set 
Seen God set people free from past hurts that have, that have held them chained like, like, um, you know, like chains. And held them chained like chains. And I've seen ultimately people set free from the power of sin and death. Because there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. And so God has come to set people free. What's the application here? The first thing is this. I want you to know tonight that Jesus came to set you free. That Jesus came to set you free. Um, I'll tell you a little story. I met, I met someone who uh, used to come to this church and, and then um, has actually now passed on from this church. Um, but a, a couple who I, I went and visited once, um, uh, Les Zabo, if you, if you remember Les, and I sat down and, and had a coffee with, uh, with he and his wife and he told me his story about how he came to be in Australia. And he had been uh, uh, probably about 18, 19, living in Hungary at the end of the Second World War. And at the end of the Second World War, Hungary, as you know, became a communist country. And they closed the borders and um, it became like what's known as the, um, the Iron Curtain, right? You could not get out of this country. But just in the time when this was happening, just as they were about to close the borders, he and his brother decided that they wanted to get out. They saw that their freedom was about to be taken away and they decided that they would make a dash to seek to get across the border before the borders were closed. So they, uh, they got a little dish with water in it and a cork, half a cork with a nail on it and they magnetised the nail so that it would face north. And then using that, they realised the direction they needed to head was uh, west. And they, they, they began to walk, carrying nothing, uh, with no, no nothing other than the clothes on their back and a little bit of money, they began to walk towards the border. They travelled at night, sleeping in barns. People would uh, provide them with shelter, dodging soldiers who were all around them. And they reached a point where they knew they were very close to the border, uh, possibly over it. And at that point, they, they were just walking through a field and soldiers came um, down towards them and they thought, we are captured. And the soldiers were the soldiers from the neighbouring country and they said, welcome, you've reached our country. And he got on a boat. Uh, I think he was headed for Canada. Um, and it, he landed in Australia. Uh, <laughs> He must have thought there's a lot of kangaroos in Canada. Didn't realise there were that. And he met an Australian girl, married, and moved to the hills and lived here. And, and the most incredible thing, to have a coffee with this guy and hear him tell this story. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of, freedom is a powerful thing. The longing for freedom. And I kind of want to preach this particularly to those tonight that, that have never actually known the freedom that comes from Jesus. Because there's, the power of Jesus is to break every chain. And the greatest chain is the power of sin and death. Because death is a chain that, that who can break? You know, you can, you can walk out of a country that's about to be, that's about to be closed down and, and, and push for freedom. And, and there's some things where you can maybe break some chains in your life. But there's some chains that just can't be broken. And certainly the power of sin and death is a chain that can't be broken. But by the blood of Jesus, the power of the cross, sin and death has been broken by Jesus. And if you've never received Jesus into your life, and I say this to those who are, who are uh, listening tonight online, those who are in the room, then Jesus, if you want to understand who he is, he is God's 
chosen king who has come to set people free, to break the chains of the evil one and to save people and to break every chain. And secondly, if you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, I'll go backwards. If you're not, then actually the journey towards being set free is to put your trust in Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe in you as my Lord and my Saviour and I want to follow you and I ask you to come into my life and that you would break those chains and set me free. And Jesus' forgiveness and grace will come to you as a gift. You don't need to earn it. Secondly, um, if it's some, something in our life, sometimes in our life there's a chain, whether it's unforgiveness, whether it's a past hurt, whether it's just something, a temptation, a, a, an area of sin, a hidden kind of thing that, that weighs us down and, and, and we struggle with it and we, we can't get over it. And there's, there's, the evil one is wanting to say to us, you can't break this. This is who you are. This is just part of your life. Just, just go on with that in your life. And I want to say to you that there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. And do not accept the lie that that thing you struggle with will always be that thing you struggle with. And that chain that binds you will always be there because there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. And I believe that. Thirdly, I'll finish with this if the band want to get up and just start to play as we lead out of this. What this means for us as a church is that we have a mission because Jesus has invited us into his mission and his mission is about sharing this good news that he has come to break chains and to set people free. When Jesus stood up in Luke and he preached his very first sermon, the, the, the sermon that Luke records as Jesus' first sermon. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is, anot, is, is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He's uh, sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And we as a people are about that mission to come into a world that says, well, who is Jesus and what is church? And isn't that something from the past? And why on earth would you do that? And to say, actually, there's something in this that is more precious than gold. The freedom, the salvation, the hope that we have through Jesus. Because I look around and I see a world where there's actually people in a whole lot of chains. Ironically, claiming their freedom to do all sorts of stuff, yet yet in doing that becoming more and more chained so often Jesus has come to set the captive free so tonight we are invited to come around the table to break bread uh, to grab a piece of bread because it's already been pre-broken because it's COVID <laughs> that's how we're doing things we can't all touch the same piece of bread but take a piece of bread and remember that Jesus' body was broken on the cross of Calvary and to take a cup and to drink this cup as a symbol of the blood of Jesus that was poured out the cup of a new covenant in his blood it's in the blood of Jesus that was shed as he bore the sin of the world that our freedom was won and that Satan was defeated and that Jesus broke the chains so I want you to come and think about and reflect on the chains that have been broken and give thanks but I want to reflect on if there's any kind of lingering things that are 
that are a chain for you and I want to encourage you to take the blood and the body of Christ and remember that there is power in the name of Jesus. Spend some time in prayer. And do we have a prayer team? If you want to pray for anything or pray for anyone or any situation or just anything that's been happening in your life during this time, why don't you, you know, as you take communion, just come and receive prayer. We have some people down the front. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.